The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Thank you so much, Chef. You heard him. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after-hours action. Shares of United and IBM, both stocks on the move on earnings. IBM's call just getting underway. We are on it. We'll bring you any big headlines. Plus, tobacco stocks getting smoked. The reports out of the White House today that sent this trade up in flames. And later, the ultimate pairs trade. The chart master's laying out two moves to make to capture big upside in this market. Carter Worth will join us straight ahead. We start off at the developing story on Tesla, the stock falling more than 3% today. Two federal agencies launching investigations into a fatal Model S uh, crash with apparently nobody behind the wheel. Let's get the Phil bow with all the new details. Phil. And Melissa, still more questions than answers with this crash, and you saw some of the pictures there. Let's set the scene in terms of what happened over the weekend. This was a crash that killed two people in Spring, Texas, just outside of Houston. What's interesting is that the police at the scene said, look, There was a person in the passenger seat, and there was a person in the back seat. There was nobody in the driver's seat, which immediately had people saying, wait a second, how did this crash if there was nobody in the driver's seat? Was autopilot engaged? And by the way, it's unclear if autopilot was engaged. So NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, is now opening an investigation, a special crash investigation, into this accident. NHTSA has launched 24 probes of Tesla autopilot in the past where they've looked at uh, crashes and so forth. There have been no recalls of autopilot technology. Now, Tesla has amended the technology over time and has been engaged in conversations with NHTSA, but there have been no recalls. Drivers are expected to stay engaged. NHTSA has said that repeatedly. Elon Musk and Tesla have also said that, though at the same time, critics will say that Elon Musk has suggested it's not long before we will have completely self-driving vehicles. Over the weekend, Tesla released its safety report, and in that report, Elon Musk said, look, if you look at the autopilot, it has a lower crash rate, 10 times lower than the average vehicle. Keep in mind, any driver assist technology will lower the crash rate for that vehicle compared to every other vehicle that's out on the road where it's you and I driving, Melissa, because humans obviously are going to make a lot more errors than the technology that is assisting drivers to keep them in their lanes, prevent collisions, etc. The chief of the NTSB, Robert Sumalt, he has been critical of Tesla in the past. He has said that the company should not be testing beta versions of its autopilot software with people driving and testing out that beta software. It is unclear if there was beta software in this Tesla Model S. It's a 2019 version. And again, still unclear if autopilot was engaged at the time of the accident. One last thing regarding Tesla. 
take a look at this video. This comes to us from the Shanghai Auto Show. And the reason it's getting attention is because there was a woman who got on top of a Tesla. She was wearing a shirt saying that Tesla's brakes are unsafe. It's getting attention for two reasons. One, you don't see this very often in China, let alone at the Shanghai Auto Show, which I've gone to and reported from several times. The other thing to keep in mind, this woman has done this in other parts of China. So this is not somebody who was inspired for the first time to stand up and say, yeah, I see a wrong and I'm going to protest about it. She has been videotaped and it has been documented that she has done similar types of protests in other parts of China. Nonetheless, getting some attention online today. Melissa? Yeah, and supposedly her father was involved in a crash that was, you know, in a Tesla. And so that's what motivates this woman to go across China and and protest. But Phil, in terms of uh, the self-driving feature that is being beta tested, that is being marketed as full self-driving. I mean, I would think that they would come under scrutiny just for for what it's called. That's what critics are saying, Melissa. Critics are saying you call it full self-driving. Elon Musk was on the Joe Rogan podcast a couple of months ago, and he said, you know, we're not far from seeing autopilot get to the point where you really don't have to drive unless you want to. Now, he didn't say, look, you can take your hands off the wheel and you'll never have to drive again. But the critics are pointing out that you add the title full self-driving. You see these videos that are out there. You see a company that in the eyes of the critics, is not doing enough to prevent drivers from not being engaged. All of that is in the mix of people saying something should be done by the federal government when it comes to Tesla's autopilot. The flip side of that, real quick, Melissa, is the federal government will say if they're telling people, if they're telling drivers to stay engaged and drivers are not, and drivers are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing behind the wheel, it's not the technology that's at fault. It's the driver. Yeah, they've CYA'd, so to speak. Phil, thanks. Phil Um, But a lot of questions surrounding Tesla, Guy, a stock that some might say at 714 bucks a share is priced really for perfection almost. What do you think? It's interesting. I mean, it used to be if you would say if you would say anything even remotely negative about Apple, the vitriol that would come back would would be astonishing. I think Tesla's taken over that crown. (laughs) And I've seen it firsthand a number of times, not least of which was Thursday when we opened a show with, you know, Elon Musk and his tweet about game stonks and those types of things. And, and the feedback that I personally got was pretty remarkable. I mentioned that because we try to say somewhat agnostic. I mean, we don't let our dogma come into play. But what I will say is you know, this is a stock that I thought traded extraordinarily well today, uh, given that news. How do you trade the stock, which is really all we're here to talk about? You know, I think the March 5th low was 539.5. The all-time high was 900. So today's close is effectively a 50% retracement of that entire move. You trade it literally against the 715, 720 level. Let the market decide for you. I think it's pretty simple. I think you stay long above 720. We're right there now. And I think on the downside, if we start to break down, you look for a reentry point, and that could come in the form of about 650 or so if you start to do the math. Yeah, part of the NHTSA investigation into this crash and into past crashes is what happened to the car after the crash. Uh, because it bursts into flames, as, as it has happened before. And so, Dan, I mean, I would imagine this is, a, an, this is an ongoing issue. This is not the first time we've heard of this kind of response in a, car, in a Tesla car crash specifically. I, I don't know if you think it's a Tesla problem, though. I mean, this is, this is the nature of a battery-operated vehicle. Yeah, it seems like before we were focused on these autonomous 
issues and the crashes there. It seemed to be probably once a month or so there was an issue about the batteries launching on fire. And I thought Elon used to deal with that pretty well when you would look at, you know, fires in other cars that that didn't have batteries. The instances of fires were far less. We know that they just own this EV space right here in the U.S. So every time there's a battery fire, it's a uh, specific interest. So, you know, to me, listen, they're probably doing the right things. I think Elon talks up the autonomy and, and their capabilities. But by the same token, the company is very specific about what you should be doing with that. Um, you know, should that be regulated? Probably a little tighter than it is when you see these instances of people in the back seat or something. Um, you know, they can't regulate that. I will make one point. There was a gentleman from Consumer Reports on the closing bell who used to work for the NTSA, and he said that there are other automakers like Cadillac whose operations do a much better job of recapturing or waking you to touch the wheel and to engage with the driving. So that could be the issue where the company should really just get ahead of it and just really figure that out right now because they're going to have much less issues with that. Yeah, maybe there's a tweak they can do uh, to sort of wake you, so to speak. But Tim, we showed the video in China because that video has gone viral. Um, And part of the, the dialogue surrounding that video is to not not um, buy Teslas, to buy other ones, Xpeng, Neo, they are presenting at the Shanghai Auto Show as well. They are operating in China. They are Chinese champion state companies. There seems to be an assumption that Tesla has a, has the only foreign fully owned factory, and so they can own the market. But maybe that's not a good assumption to make. Well, we've we've talked about the competitive landscape in China, and there's no question, I think, national champion companies, or at least JVs, and even GM has a JV in China, has been very, very successful, and, and the sense that, that Tesla is the only game in town. And, and of course, at times, the China story for Tesla has been a major driver, uh, including a factory, including, you know, the, the, the demand there. So, um, look, I, I, I kind of fall in line here with, with the two things that have been said ahead of me. One is that Tesla is an easy target, um, and, and so I, I think the, the competitive landscape is, is certainly going to focus on that. Um, I, I think Tesla, the stock, you know, this is, uh, I think there are two different things. I, I'll leave the safety issues to to those that, that focus on that. I, I think the stock uh, at 714, Guy talked about a key level. It's still holding this uptrend from November, which has been an extraordinary uptrend, even for Tesla on a relative basis. And yet you had a bear cross a couple days ago. Um, so it is, it's a very important level for the stock. Um, valuation makes no sense. I, I, you know, I've said that for a couple of years and I've been very wrong on that. Um, but at some point, you talk about these competitive forces and, and you talk about charts and you talk about high multiple tech that's been under some pressure. Um, those are the things I think you should focus on. All right, let's get to the broader markets now because stocks pulled back from record highs. All three major averages posting losses today. The Nasdaq falling uh, more than 1% at one point in the session, but uh, finishing the day lower by just less than a percent. Check out the weakness in chips, semi ETF down more than 2%. We did see big losses from names like NVIDIA. Uh, and Qualcomm. So, Karen, what'd you make of the action today? It was actually, I mean, it looked much worse at around noon. And then, uh, you know, in terms of the tech pullback, and it got better. Yeah, it, got, it was more subdued by the end of the day, but mm-hmm. certainly ending up in the red. I don't know. It just seems like a little bit of a pullback. Um, not a big deal. Certainly, if you step back, not a big deal, given what, you know, what the market has done in the last few weeks. I think now, for me, I like that we're going to switch over from the more macroeconomic data, I think we have very little coming out in the next couple of days and switch to the more micro, uh, you know, stock specific data. So we'll see from all kinds of companies, J&J and P&G and Lockheed and CSX and just the, across the whole spectrum of the economy to see how is the recovery really going? And then what are they looking, what are they 
think they will see in their business for the rest of the year. So I don't know. It's a little bit of a pause. If you step back, it's just not that big of a move. But the VIX had gotten pretty low. It, it spiked up today. I'm not surprised that the VIX traded higher. I wouldn't be surprised to see it trade a little bit higher still. But I'm very optimistic, though, on earnings for this quarter. Yeah. Dan, you're zeroing in on the on the chip weakness. Not only did NVIDIA have questions around its ARM acquisition, um, but I don't know if you heard Dan Niles on the closing bell. He was talking about building chip inventories. We're all, you know, we're all a buzz over the chip shortage. But he's saying we're seeing building inventories in the supplies for uh, chip phones that excuse me, chips that go into phones, I tried to say. <laughs> and he's shorting those names. Yeah, and listen, follow Dan Niles. He's been doing that cyclical trade in chips for like 25 years and probably doing it really, really well. So I think it's important to kind of think about if the narrative right now in front of you is supply constraint, start thinking about what comes next. And that might be um, that build. And especially if we don't see the sort of 5G super cycle that a lot of people were expecting, um, if a lot of the chip demand is in industrial and that kind of wanes over the next couple of months as it gets filled, I think that makes sense. I'll just one last point. Look at the NASDAQ composite. It is the only major U.S. index that has not made a new high um, since, I don't know, February or something like that. So we know that Russell had made uh, new highs and then it basically was unable to do so over the last month or so. So the S&P and the Dow seem to be narrowly making new highs every day over the last few weeks. The NASDAQ composite has not. It looks like a textbook Guy Adami double top at a time when the narratives are sort of switching on high growth, high valuation names, and then on things where we thought supply constraints were going to give a tailwind to things like chips, but maybe some smart investors are thinking otherwise. I have to go to the teacher then on that one. Guy, (laughs) is it classic Mm, double time? I I miss those days. (laughs) It certainly looks that way. Uh, And, you know, I miss the days of textbooks. I long for the days when you would bring six textbooks home and you would have your arm would be sore by the time you get home, obviously. Uh, a will be, you know, a, a, a bygone era, as they say. I'll say this about chips. It's interesting you mentioned the shortage. All these chips, X NVIDIA, which had that huge run up over the last month, they all seem to top out just as the rhetoric around the chip shortage got the loudest back in February to dance point. So it certainly looks that way. Uh, AMD, my favorite in the space, has been uh, sideways to slightly lower since I power pitched it, I think, around 83 the one I would worry about, if Dan Niles is correct, would be a name like Texas Instruments, which on valuation doesn't make sense because they don't really have the earning growth to back it up. So earnings is going to be fascinating. AMD still my favorite. Has not traded well, though, for the last few weeks. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? Well, there's a few points from today. One is uh, the dollar is 50 basis points weaker. is not 2.5% weaker over the last you know 10 days or so, and, and it's been a pretty decided move. Uh, you've had copper... Uh, almost almost near fresh highs. You've got oil back up near the highs. Uh, and I think you have a dynamic where some of those trades, again, it just looks like some rotation to me. Uh, semis have underperformed the S&P by 6.5% in the last 10 days. That's pretty notable. Um, and it does give some room for some of these other trades. Again, so with a weaker dollar, uh, rates, they're largely sideways, although you did have a small move higher in, in yields today. Uh, that, to me, is the notable. Also, that Arcaco's basket continues to drift lower. Viacom lower, Discovery lower, t- uh, TME lower, um, IQ lower, and it tells you that we're not totally out of that in the mm. system. Well, as stocks pull back from all-time highs, the Chartmaster's laying out an ultimate pairs trade to capture some upside. So Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro is here to break it down. Hey, Carter. How are you? Well, it was uh, <laughs> this morning's report was just simply getting long health care relative to the market. But before we look at the charts, 
Uh, it's important to remember when things get loved, it's often time to go the other way and vice versa. I think everyone loved tech in the autumn and hated financials and uh, industrials and energy. And now, of course, it's the opposite. They hated tech until it came back a couple of weeks ago. What's hated right now is health care. Uh, let's look at a few tables and charts. The first, it's a three-month simple, uh, you see it there, the three-month performance spread. 10% plus for the market, the sector up three. Look at the next one, six months. Nothing you don't know, but it's good to stare at the numbers. Six-month performance. Doubling, right? I mean, the sector up 14, uh, S&P up 22. Nine-month performance. 21% for the sector, 48 uh, for the S&P. So the question is, when you get a spread like this, is it worth um, calling it as so bad it's good? Take a look at the next chart. This is an all-data chart going back to 1981 when uh, GIC sectors were first created or changed before that different nomenclature. The bottom panel is relative performance of the healthcare sector to the S&P. We have come down to a trend line that the sector has bounced off to the penny every single time. Now, we're going to make the bet that that's going to happen again. If it doesn't, we'll take measures, but that's the bet. One more chart. This is simply the, uh, the ETF, uh, the spiders. Uh, it's a conventional uh, rising, uh, ascending triangle. doesn't matter what you call it. It just broke out. And then keep in mind this. Uh, in terms of valuation, for those who care, the PE spread with the S&P right now is the lowest since 2009. The price to cash flow spread, the lowest since 2007. The price to sales spread with the S&P is the lowest ever. Um, so can it be that it's cheap? Sometimes value traps exist, but we think you get offense and defense from healthcare. The market's going to keep going and going. Healthcare will participate. It's got a lot of Jews in biotech. If it's not, there are very defensive characteristics in healthcare that I think will serve you well. Is there a subsector within healthcare, within the XLV, Carter, that you think fares better than others since it looks like pharma is about 37 percent, but so is healthcare equipment and supplies. It's a very diversified sort of basket. Right, with, with domination in the big uh, pharma names, of course, and things like United Healthcare. We, li we like the managed care group. I think that's uh, sort of uh, heads you in, tails you in area to be in. Okay. Carter, good to see you. Thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone Thank Macro. You. Karen, I asked that question for you, since big pharma has recently Thank been you. a favorite trade. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. I'm used to having things in my portfolio that are, are so bad they're good or so <laughs> ugly they're cute or whatever, stuff like that. But, you know, as Tim likes to say, when things go from terrible to just bad, that's when you make the most money. I don't even think things are that terrible, but I do think the valuations for <laughs> Big Cap Pharma relative to the market are really cheap. It's a big position for me spread out over a number of names, but... Um, I think there's a, a lot more to go. And I'm very glad Carter brilliantly thinks so as well. He must be right. I hope he's <laughs> he's right. really smart since he agrees with you. <laughs> Tim, really um, what area of healthcare do you like right now? Tim, sorry. I'm sorry. That was to mm -hmm. me. Yes. No. Hi. How are you? Um, I think Mega Cap Pharma, first of all, the combination of balance sheets and, and valuation construct. I, I like J&J &J, uh, and all the noise around the vaccine. I don't mean to be insensitive to what are real uh, health dynamics at work here. I, I just mean um, that's not really moving the needle for the company in the long term, nor did we think it was going to. It's really about a pharma pipeline overall. But uh, again, when you call look at medical devices and you look at some of their consumer products businesses, to me, this is the most defensive of the mega cap pharma. But like Karen, I think these are very easy valuations to get uh, comfortable with and stay with even, even through difficult periods in the market. Yeah. Um, Guy, I thought it was interesting that, that Carter said manage health care specifically is the area that he liked. 
Yeah, I mean, look at some of these names that have been on fire. And, he, and you talked about some of these devices as well. Medtronic, within a whisper of an all-time high. UNH, I think, made an all-time high either today or late last week. We talk about that. Even the hospitals, Tenet Healthcare, which was left for dead in the early, you know, $23 area. Look at the move that that stock's had since then. So I'm with him. And the XLV, which he mentioned, again, uh, closing right around an all-time high. So I'm with Carter Braxton Worth on this one. If you're looking for some, an underloved big cap uh, pharma name, Lilly has pulled back. Decent day today. I think Eli Lilly is the best in breed. All right. Coming up, the big safety warning on Peloton. That's on share skidding today. The full details and how our traders are playing this pullback and later cryptos. Kryptonite, Bitcoin crashing over the weekend. Was it a giant warning shot or more selling of, of more selling ahead? We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Oatly. Let's get to Leslie Picker with the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Oatly filing for an IPO in the United States. The Swedish uh, maker of oat milk and oat-related products uh, set to list on the NASDAQ under the symbol O-T-L-Y. They filed with a $100 million placeholder here, uh, but we reported back in January that they were going public uh, and they were looking to raise about a billion dollars at the time. So you can expect that placeholder uh, to to increase substantially by the time they actually go public. Uh, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, Credit Suisse leading this offering. Uh, They say that it plays into several key trends. Number one, the sustainability trend, investors wanting to invest in companies uh, that do good by the planet and and so forth. Also, the millennial Gen Z uh, demographic uh, apparently are huge consumers of oat milk. Their financials very uh, impressive on the top line. You've got more than double uh, top line growth year over year in 2020 um, to about $420 million, although still unprofitable at this time. Of course, there's also that nascent Starbucks partnership that they have uh, to include oat milk in Starbucks across the United States and China. As for risk factors, they do note that they have a history of losses, maybe unable to achieve and sustain profitability. Also, some issues potentially pertaining to the supply chain, uh, which could become a problem for them given the limited availability of oats, as they put it. Melissa. The limited availability of oats. I guess <laughs> yeah, the market would be. I mean, there is a limit Finite at some point. Commodity, I guess. Um, well, Leslie, thank you, Leslie Picker. Not to make light of this blockbuster, potentially blockbuster IPO with a lot of celebrity backers. Karen, uh, I, w- I think that you're a consumer of oat mm-hmm. milk. Well, there's a ton in my house. It's not. I, I mean, I use it occasionally <laughs> as a last resort, and it's fine. But 
I mean, this, you know, I, it's the beyond meat of uh, what Casamigos was to tequila, I guess. This is to milk. I mean, I, you know, there's no doubt the sustainability push is, is real. That's a secular trend. And um, uh, I, I, vegan as well or vegetarian. Um, I, this would be vegan. I, and um, I, I mean, millennials, put it all together. I, I think this is going to be super hot. I don't know the valuation yet. I don't know if the street will care about losses in the short term. And then one day I think somebody buys them out. I mean, I, I think that you're right in terms of the blueprint of this is like a beyond meat. Um, and it's interesting. They mentioned the limited supply of oats that, you know, was potentially a bottleneck for Beyond Meat as well. The limited supply of pea protein. Um, Dan, Nathan, what do you how do you think this IPO would be received? I, I think, well, I mean, Mel, or Karen just makes a really good point. I mean, ultimately, you know, we've seen the unbundling of all these consumer products. Then we're going to see the rebundling of them. They'll make a nice part of, of some broader um, consumer product companies portfolio at some point. But if I'm trying to maximize shareholder value, I want to get to the public markets. I want to get to the public markets when they're super hot right now and they don't care about valuation. And it looks like Oatly's on the path to do it. All right. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Crypto crashing. Coming up next, the traders are digging into what had Bitcoin going bust over the weekend. Plus, a bull case for Disney. Barron's saying this stock has the magical touch. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert. The cryptocurrency crashing over the weekend, falling as much as 12 percent before rebounding slightly today. Let's get more on the action in crypto with Naja Roberts, founder and CEO of Crypto Blockchain Plug, the first black owned crypto exchange. Welcome, Naja. Great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I want to get so much more detail on your exchange. But first, I want to uh, get your thoughts on on Bitcoin as well as the Coinbase IPO. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I can say, you just spoke about the, the, the fall of the price of Bitcoin. I think this is a prime opportunity for individuals to get in and get much more of the action uh, because the price has fallen quite a bit, 20 percent. And so it allows for us to be able to purchase Satoshis. And for those of you who don't know, Satoshis is the smallest unit of Bitcoin, just like there are 100 pennies. There's 100 million Satoshis in a Bitcoin. So it's exciting times, in my in my opinion. So your exchange focuses specifically on or targets black investors. And I read something very interesting, an article just last week, and it cited some Harris Poll information saying that blacks and Hispanics seem to be more accepting of cryptocurrency and trusting of cryptocurrencies um, than white Americans. And I'm wondering why you think that is and how that has helped you in, in building your business and, and going after this audience. Well, this is the first time in history that we've been able to actually control the narrative. Uh, and Bitcoin teaches self-sovereignty. It teaches really being in control. And uh, just it, it, it offers hope. 
in changing the trajectory of the community and specifically our families individually. And so when we're able to have that type of power and control, it's really something that gives us hope. And I think a lot of individuals have been looking for avenues that they can begin to invest in, uh, that they can take a part in and, and have some sort of stake or say in the matter. And so Bitcoin affords us that opportunity. And I think everybody's really excited about it. And Coinbase, what do, what do you think of this IPO? And, you know, do you think about what your exchange is worth? I, I know you're not necessarily thinking of selling it or IPOing or anything like that. But uh, what does this mean to your business? I think it's an incredible move because from the beginning, I think most of us that are in cryptocurrency have sought to see things that validify or, or make this industry valid. And that IPO of Coinbase has done exactly that individuals that may or may not have taken notice in the cryptocurrency space are saying, hey, wait a minute, there may be something something to this because here we have an exchange that is actually in, in just embarking on a phenomenal opportunity to present themselves to the mass world. And so this is a huge step in our space. And I'm very happy that Coinbase has taken the leap and I think it will prove to be a great one. And I think anybody that's involved with either either Bitcoin specifically and or Coinbase will see the type of returns that they would like to see. And I, I'm excited about that as well. All right. Naja, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Absolutely. Thank you. Naja Roberts. Um, Karen, I don't know what you made of this pullback in, in Bitcoin. Last week, we dared to say when Bitcoin started to pull back on the Coinbase IPO, we dare to say, does this mark any sort of a intermediate top? We got lots of ats and responses on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what do you think? Right. Well, I guess that's 64 and change. I was getting, that was the morning of the Coinbase um, uh, direct listing. That maybe is the short term top. It was interesting to me how precipitously it fell on not a lot of volume, you know, within 20 minutes, maybe it was down, I don't know, 7,000 or so, I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, called the BK baller, said, hey, what do you think of this? Said it was just, you know, he thought it was a lot of noise. There was a lot of things people were pointing to, potential regulation, anti-money laundering regulation, but also just uh, stop losses that kicked in as people have had, as we have more retail investors and they have more margin accounts, um, that, uh, you know, precipitous loss triggered that. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, except that pullback, this is not a giant move considering what's happened to this over the last year, even over the last three, three or four months. Still, not a, not a giant move. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is Dogecoin went in the opposite direction today, Dan, ahead of what is being proclaimed as Dogecoin 420 day tomorrow, which I thought Tim was... You know, <laughs> cannabis day, but I guess Doge has taken over with all the celebrity backers. Of Do- I mean, even the Snickers account is tweeting about a Doge, you know, a dog on a Snickers bar. Tim Hortons apparently tweeted about Doge as well. So I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of this hype? 
I, I think it speaks of where we are with this sort of craze. I think you just put the crypto craze. There's a lot of people think that this is a movement that past guests is talking about emboldening um, you know, different groups of people who have not had access to the financial markets or investment opportunities. I just fear that what we're seeing right now are a Ponzi, like, like Doge is a Ponzi. It's, it's nothing more than that, right? So you know, the white paper, put that up against Satoshi's Bitcoin white yeah. paper, and, and you really wouldn't wipe something with it. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, when, when I think about what's going on here, there's there's multiple things going on. Um, I think that the opportunities, when you see these sorts of sell-offs that are based on leverage, based on some headlines, based on the fact that we got overly excited about too, too many things, I think it does present opportunities. Listen, if you love Ethereum and you love everything that's being built on it and you think that is the way to play it, well, you just saw it go from 2,500 to 2,000 overnight. So be on a good exchange, have good stop orders or, or good to cancel orders, that sort of thing and be ready to play, um, you know, but I would, you know, to me, the, all the, the altcoins are the altcoins, and then there's a couple ways to play. Yep. All right. Um, Elon Musk responding to that autopilot crash. Phil has got the details. Phil. Melissa, a couple of tweets from Elon Musk, and he says, first of all, data logs recovered so far show autopilot was not enabled. Remember, we're talking about the crash over the weekend in Spring, Texas, just outside of Houston. Not enabled, and this car did not purchase FSD. That stands for full self-driving, the uh, uh, feature that allows you to have autonomous or autopilot uh, on your vehicle. Moreover, standard autopilot would require lane lines to turn on, which this street did not have. That's Elon Musk basically saying, you think this car had an accident on autopilot? Think again. Their data logs say that there was no autopilot in- engaged, nor did the people who purchased this car also purchase full self-driving technology as well. So that is the latest on the crash involving this uh, Tesla Model S that killed two people down in the Houston area. Melissa, back to you. Yeah, thanks, Phil. We are looking at the chart of the of the day's action, but after hours, Tesla shares are actually higher by one and a half percent on the back of this tweet. There you have it. Coming up, Peloton hitting the brakes today as regulators put out a big warning on the safety of one of its products. We're breaking that one down next when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Peloton dropping today. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission issuing an urgent warning to stop using the Peloton Tread Plus. This comes after its investigation into the death of a child turned up dozens of instances of injuries. Peloton calling the new advisory inaccurate and misleading, saying its treadmills are safe when safety recommendations are followed. Um, J.P. Morgan putting out a note today saying, buy any pullback related to the Tread Plus product warning. A lot of analysts actually came out and defended uh, Peloton. Dan, you got one in the background, so I got to go to you on on this. Your thoughts? (laughs) Well, you know, it, it's a, obviously a very serious situation. The thing about the child is, is horrible. Um, but listen, I have two cats and a little dog running around, and, and I actually have to lock them in another room for that fear. So there's something that has to happen here with the design of that product. It could be as easy as something of putting some sort of barricade um, around it. But when you have human death like that, um, it's obviously to be taken seriously. And the other issue I just mentioned as it relates to Pelican, we know that they're buying uh, Precore. They make a lot of these sorts of devices. So this is something that I think investors all of a sudden now, you know, we have to worry about regulatory issues in Tim's cannabis or in Bitcoin and stuff like that. Now you have to worry about them in treadmills too. Yeah, and the issue is slightly different. As you mentioned, it involves human death, specifically of a child. And whenever whenever that happens, our our hearts go out to that family. And we really 
think hard about whether or not we're going to use that product again. Tim, I think this is about a liability issue. What will it cost for Peloton to get its reputation back, to fix the problem, to fix the future um, Pelotons that it sends out of its warehouses? Well, I, look, I can't speak to the legal uh, mm -hmm. extent and the liability here. I'll, I'll say that Peloton has gone out of their way to build a brand that is, is high association with innovation, leading edge, and, and home fitness. And, and I think as much as this is a, you know, clearly a, a been a COVID accelerated trend, I think this is one that, that stays with us. I, I don't love the valuation and Peloton's down 35% and 65 sessions or something and i think it's trying to find a base but this is kind of that that you know vertically integrated player um that is innovative on the hardware side has a software model and a recurring revenue model and i think it's in a pretty sweet spot right now it's not going to lose this tailwind it may not be as extraordinary uh, we need to figure out what multiple i this is tragic tragic news um, I, I think I think uh, the market will separate the difference here. Yeah, we talked about all the analysts defending Peloton. Guy with a seven percent pullback, would you? Yes, you know you go back to October when the stock was making an all-time high. I want to say in the one you know one thirties, it traded down to a little below a hundred. But November fifteenth, I think it closed around one hundred one ninety, and it exploded from there. It made new all-time high off of that. I think you traded on the long side against this 102 level. J.P. Morgan's note was accurate, I think. Obviously, uh, it's a tragedy without question. I don't think we're speaking about that. We're speaking about how to trade the stock. And into earnings, I believe, on May 5th, I think you stay long against 102. All right, coming up, it is all about earnings. IBM on the move in the after hours on results. A call just wrapping up. We'll bring you all the big highlights. And later, we're gearing up for Netflix earnings to take a trip to the options market for the setup. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on IBM. Deidre Bose has got the details. Debo. Melissa, green shoots at Big Blue, a rare quarter of positive year-over-year -year revenue growth. It's only the second, though, in 11 quarters. So the question remains, is this another blip or can IBM sustain it? Now, Wall Street has also been awaiting more details on the spinoff of its information services business, recently named Kindrel. CFO Jim Kavanaugh said on the call that it is on track to spin off by year end and that productivity actions are leading to gross margin improvement. Now, just a moment ago, Bernstein analyst Tony Sakanagi, he always has great and tough questions for the company. He just pressed CEO Arvind Krishna on IBM as an AI, artificial company, artificial intelligence company, asking what role does Watson play, noting that it wasn't really mentioned on the call and asking for clarification on reports that Watson Health was exploring a sale. Krishna responded, saying that Watson, quote, remains critically important to us. To be absolutely clear, Watson is the brand product name for our AI capabilities. Melissa, it's also notable this quarter, though, that capital expenditures, they fell nearly 30% in the quarter. And this for a company that says it competes with Amazon and Microsoft in the cloud. Keep in mind that its CapEx was already way below that of its peers, though it has been more active in M&A. But it does raise the question, guys, can IBM really be a contender here in cloud and AI? A question that seems to come up every quarter. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. So, Guy, I will ask you the question that Deidre started her report off with, and that is, is this a blip or could this actually be the start of something sustainable? 
Well, since March of 2013, every one of these has been a blip. I mean, you go back and look, this was $220 stock. And since then, literally eight years of lower lows and lower highs. And I think that's one of them now. I'll say this. Um, the quarter was good. Gross margins came in north of 47 percent, better than the street was looking for. Um, but, you know, we've seen this movie before. I think the, the, the caveat is if you get a close above 141, I think that changes that entire eight-year, very well-defined downtrend. I just don't think you're going to see that, Mel. Yeah. Um, Dan, what do you think about this uh, turnaround, what might, some might consider a turnaround? Well, it's really interesting, Mel. When they reported their Q4, the stock uh, was very disappointing. The stock was down like 10% like that. Supposedly, this is a good report, good guidance. They, they um, you know, endorsed the full year view, and the stock's up 3.5%. So what does that tell you? I think investors are looking for any opportunity to get out of this. The things are roll up. Any of that cloud growth is coming from that Red Hat um, division. They got these legacy products and, and businesses that just don't work right now. So to me, this thing will ultimately end up getting broken up, I suspect. Hmm. All right, coming up. A streaming buy. Options traders are betting on big things with Netflix reports tomorrow after the bell will break down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are gearing up for Netflix earnings. A company reports tomorrow after the bell. And options traders are betting the stock could be in for a major move higher. Let's get the action with Bono and Ison. Bono in. Hey, Mel, yeah, so the setup is pretty constructive for Netflix going into their earnings release, with calls outpacing puts about 1.6 to 1. Volumes are slightly elevated from what we see on average. And the options are implying about a 7% move in either direction between now and Friday's expiry on the 23rd. Compare that to the average earnings move, which is a bit more elevated. That's about 8.5%. The notable trade that really jumped out to me, the most active option, about 8,000 of the Netflix April 23rd expiry, so this Friday, 600 calls were bought for about a price of 430, putting your break even at 60430 or 109% of current spot. This is a name that moves quite a bit on earnings, but this is quite an aggressive move, particularly in short dated options. Yeah, this is one of the few tech stocks today, Tim, that did really well in anticipation of earnings. So what do you think for the quarter? Look, I, I think the comps expectations are low. Um, I think they've got them back, depending on who you read. I was reading Piper's note. They said they've got them back to 2017 levels. And, and the, the bulls will say the stock has done nothing since July of last year. The bulls will say the stock's done nothing since July of last year. And, and I think, you know, in terms of, for a guy who's been very, very uh, vocal against the valuation on this, slowly, slowly the company is is earning itself into a more respectable valuation on 22 at you know 13 bucks a share um it's it's you know it, it's 40-ish 42-ish 43-ish um so you know the I, I look the would you rather which you I, i'm gonna stop right now it's not disney <laughs> i didn't mean to would, would you rather myself but i just did um, no, I mean, ultimately, I think this is a case where um, there's a better way to play streaming uh, and we'll call it DIS. <laughs> Karen, why don't you chime in on that? I mean, like what? I'll just throw it out there. Do You guys do whatever you want. I'll just sit back here. Headquarters, mind my own business. <laughs> do you want me to opine on the self? Would you rather? Yeah, I mean, I no, don't know how I mean, to control. Yeah. I really yeah. don't. <laughs> but in terms of like the di I mean, I know you don't like yes. Netflix because of the valuation. But uh, do you think yes, of streaming as a reason to be in that. Disney? 
I do, because before what was what was a wait uh, was, you know, parks and, and cruises and hotels and all of that will become a tailwind. So it, it's not all on, on, on streaming and sports opening as well. So ESPN. So I reluctantly, yes, Disney, much better valuation. All right. To me. Uh, Bonwin, nice to see you. Thank you. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. I think the pause in the bank sector after very strong earnings is the one that refreshes, as we've seen multiple other periods. Bank of America, and I think rates are moving higher. Karen. Yeah, I love Carter's trade. The XLV gives you some of everything, some pharma, some insurance, some um, labs. It's all in there, XLV. Dan. Yeah, they're good SPACs and bad SPACs. IPOE, SoFi, that's going to be a good SPAC here. I think you buy it as it goes into the low teens. Guy. NASDAQ in earnings on Wednesday. All right, thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.